Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Taming the Shrew podcast. This week, we're going to be continuing on with sort of our research corner series of podcasts. And today, we're going to be talking about pre-hospital stroke assessment and triage, highlighting a recent published commentary by UC Emergency Medicine and EMS faculty, Jason McMullen, and a second accepted manuscript by a third-year resident, Dr. James Lee. First, uh, to Dr. McMullen, broadly speaking, why is pre-hospital stroke assessment and triage an important topic? Well, this should not be new information for our listeners, but as a reminder for everyone, stroke is a time-dependent process. And although there are papers that talk about extending the therapeutic window, time is brain, and the sooner we can treat somebody, the better. Now, stroke systems of care have developed since the initial stroke uh, screening tools were developed about 20 years ago, where at the time a stroke center was any place that had a telephone, a CT scanner, and a bottle of TPA. Now, with the advent of aggressive therapies such as endovascular um, thrombectomy treatments, surgical treatments for massive ischemic stroke and uh, hemorrhagic stroke, there is the real need to make real decisions. Because something that we call DIDO, the door-in, door-out time, is real. This means that if EMS chooses a hospital that is not the best hospital for the patient and they must be secondarily transferred, real time is really lost. And the setting of trauma, that can be several hours. And even in the best systems of stroke care, it is more than an hour. And because time is a, because stroke is a time-dependent process, that time that is lost can never be regained, which means that some patients taken to the wrong hospital are denied therapy altogether. Gotcha. And so your published commentary that was in JAMA Neurology addressed a publication by Helwig and colleagues that looked at the Los Angeles motor scale uh, and compared it to a mobile stroke unit capable of vessel imaging to help diagnose ICH or ischemic stroke secondary to large vessel occlusion. Now, what did the investigators of that study find? And you know, what were some of the weaknesses of the trial? So a little bit more background, Jeff. The uh, the stroke world is continuing to push the envelope as forward to the patient as possible, which has seen the advent of mobile stroke units. This is a CT scanner in the back of an ambulance. What's important about this paper out of Germany is that this is the, as I know, the first reported evidence of doing vascular imaging instead of just a plain CT. So not only does this help decide between stroke versus non-stroke or ischemic versus hemorrhagic stroke, it can actually identify LVO and then perform that secondary triage even better. Advanced stroke scales, like the Los Angeles Motor Scale, use clinical signs and symptoms to try to make that decision. And in this investigation, they compare the two. A CT angiography in the back of an ambulance in someone's driveway compared to uh, just clinical assessments uh, done with, with bedside maneuvers. And because the outcome of interest is imaging-based, no one should be surprised that the mobile stroke unit is more accurate than clinical decision-making with this uh, clinical scale, 100% versus 70%. This also gives us even more evidence that the prevalence of LVO and the prevalence of ICH are similar in the 10 to 12 to 14% uh, range in the pre-hospital setting, which means that these clinical scores an ICH is just as likely to be present as a large vessel occlusion, 
um, based off of the same clinical assessment, although their treatments are vastly different. Now, this trial was designed to detect a 15% absolute difference uh, in the, the accuracy of a CT scan versus the clinical assessment. The magnitude of the observed effect size was much larger, so it triggered pre-specified uh, stopping criteria after only 116 enrollments, which limits a lot of the information that we can that we can glean from this. Bottom line is it proves feasibility that a CT angio- that CT angiography can be performed uh, in the field. Now, while 100% accuracy is reported, we are very limited by the relatively small number of ICH and LVO cases, uh, and exclusion of a significant number of cases where vascular studies were not uh, performed. Just to put that in in context, there were 116 successful enrollments, but another 202 patients were excluded without vascular studies. We don't know why that is, so even that uh, demonstration of feasibility is a little bit suspect. And finally, I want to emphasize to, uh, to our listeners that the authors modified the LAMS score. This is a weakness. Anytime that you modify a carefully derived clinical decision instrument, you should expect funny things to happen. And in this case, adding these additional variables decreased the accuracy of LAMS by an absolute 10%. So had they not looked at the LAMS, excuse me, had they not modified the LAMS at all and used it as published, it would have been 100% versus 80%, which is pretty close for real-world life. Yeah. So it seems like one of the main assertions of, of your commentary that there's always really going to be a role for clinical pre-hospital stroke assessment. And this brings us to the paper um, that you were primary author on, uh, Dr. Lee. Uh, just recently accepted for publication in pre-hospital emergency care, you helped author the paper entitled Potential Impact of the CSTAT for Pre-Hospital Stroke Triage Up to 24 Hours on a Regional Stroke System. So uh, what, first off, you know, what is the CSTAT and, and where did it come from? So CSTAT is a screening tool that can be used in the pre-hospital setting to look for stroke severity. It's, um, if you've heard of other acronyms such as LAMS that we've been talking about or RACE, um, these type of stroke screening tools uh, kind of determine could this be a more mild stroke versus a more severe stroke, and that can help determine where patients will need to go. What CSTAT stands for is the Cincinnati Stroke Triage Assessment Tool. And if you look back to the original paper back in 2015 in the journal Stroke, uh, it had a slightly different name called the Cincinnati Pre-Hospital Stroke Severity Scale, the CPSSS. And just to be clear, the name has changed, but it is the same scale. And it looks at a few things, which has uh, kind of been derived from some aspects of the NIH Stroke Scale. It looks at uh, conjugate gaze deviation. It looks at whether patients are able to follow commands or say uh, the name and month. And it looks at uh, motor deficits as well, um, such as do they have a big drift in one of their extremities. We're lucky to have Dr. McMullen here next to us who uh, was heavily involved in the 2015 paper where they derived the uh, now called CSTAT scale. And he can give us a little bit more background as well. Well, James, you did a a very good job. The CSTAT was designed to be a second-level score where the original Cincinnati stroke scale um, which is the facial droop, arm drift, and abnormal speech, was designed to say stroke yes, stroke no. The CSTAT was derived and validated, both retrospectively and prospectively, to look at patients where 
the original scale says stroke is possible to determine severe stroke, yes or no. It was originally designed to identify those with an NIH stroke scale of at least 15, which at the time were indicators for uh, such aggressive therapies as decompressive hemicraniectomy for severe stroke. It was uh, the upper limits of doing endovascular therapy, and uh, and it was also a and it was also a marker of probable need for intervention in the case of an ICH. I will also point out to our listeners that in our prospective validation of CSTAT, we turned this on for our paramedics, did not tell them what it was, provided exactly zero training, and the prospective validation performed with no training in the real world by real paramedics and real patients, performed just about as well as it did in the retrospective derivation and validation set. That is why personally and unabashedly, I'm a fan with conflict of the C-STEM. <laughs> and Dr. Lee, your, your paper was an expanded secondary analysis of the prospectively collected original CSTAT data. So what exactly were you looking at in this analysis? So when that data was collected, there was no uh, triage for our EMS colleagues um, to need to bring patients to certain places. The standard of care was essentially uh, patient preference. So they went to uh, whichever hospital they uh, appropriately needed to go to. We wanted to see if applying CSTAT in the setting of pre-hospital suspected stroke patients would uh, change triage and how, how much it would change where these patients end up. Looking at the results, you had 105 patients with complete data, 37 of which were CSTAT positive. And the rates of acute ischemic stroke were similar in the CSTAT positive and negative groups, but rates of LVO in the CSTAT positive group was 15% as compared to 3% in the CSTAT negative group. You know, this study was conducted during a time where there was no preferential triage of suspected LVO patients to the only comprehensive stroke center in our region. And what did your study find in terms of the impacts of a preferential triage of LVO patients to a comprehensive stroke center? So as we would probably expect, uh, using CSTAT to preferentially triage stroke patients would end up with them going to uh, stroke centers or comprehensive stroke centers. Uh, in our data set, if we looked at uh, up to six hours of uh, stroke symptoms, uh, it would increase triage by 11%. And if you expand that up to 24 hours, it would uh, be 21%. If you crunch the numbers and look at it, the absolute difference isn't huge. However, stroke is a disease process that has had rapidly changing treatment options in the past multiple years. There has been recent data as well to show that uh, perhaps you can uh, bypass some TPA-capable centers to go to comprehensive stroke centers that do have more interventional uh, techniques and also other aspects and resources such as neurointensive care units and um, increased staffing and resources to take care of these patients. And uh, Dr. McMullen, you know, as as Dr. Lee points out, you know, stroke uh, and and certainly the the pre-hospital assessment and triage of stroke uh, uh, patients is really a, a rapidly evolving area of of research uh, where it seems that uh, you know every every year there's there's sort of uh, subtle changes or big changes in the in the types of patients that we're considering for varying treatments. So where do you um, uh, where do you think you see uh, the future of uh, pre-hospital assessment and triage of stroke patients going? 
I think there will always be the need for curiosity. There will always be the need for some restraint by not chasing the newest and shiniest uh, and most promising opportunity for triage or for treatment. But we're fortunate, again, unbiased, excuse me, we're fortunate, again, very biased, to be in Cincinnati where a lot of this research is being done. And I encourage everyone listening to think about this in the setting of their own communities, read the primary evidence for yourself, and make your own treatment and triage decisions for what works best for your community. When we look at this paper from Germany, it talks about a CT ambulance versus a pre-hospital assessment. There's only a couple dozen of these CT ambulances in the United States, with Cincinnati waiting for their first one uh, sometime within the next several months. Right now, we already have a very good system of care, and that CT ambulance will offer significant benefit for isolated patients in isolated locations. But as anyone with an EMS background knows, there is far too big of a geography served by a stroke center, far too many EMS calls, far too many atypical presentations for any CT ambulance or CT ambulance fleet to appropriately serve every patient every time. So there will always be the need for places that have choices to have pre-hospital triage based off of clinical decision-making. There are several tools that have been developed, including the LAMS and the CSTAT, that help paramedics or EMTs make that decision based off of the patient in front of them without delaying care and hopefully pushing care forward. But if you're in the part of a country that does not have a comprehensive stroke center, that does not have a thrombectomy-capable stroke center, then the second-level triage may not really be necessary because there is not a choice to make. As we look at all of these, from from clinical tools to uh, fancy stroke ambulances, we must also accept that nothing is perfect, and there will always be a balance between over-triage and under-triage. Over-triage, in this case, is taking a patient without a severe stroke to a severe stroke hospital that starves the, the primary stroke centers of care and it overburdens the comprehensive stroke center that's now full and unable to take more patients. Under triage hurts that individual patient by going to a lower level of care than they need and losing those hours in secondary transfer. But no matter what areas choose, We must stick with the core meaning of triage, and that is we must all do the best we can for the most that we can every time. Excellent. Well, thank you both for joining us uh, in the Taming the Shrew Research Corner, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. We're looking forward to bringing you a number of these timely podcasts over the coming months and years, so we'll see you next time.